Now, we've been doing this series on Galatians, and and if you haven't been here, I'd just really stress to listen to the podcast, because Steve's given us some amazing teaching on Galatians, and it will change your life, and that is no lie, it will literally change your life, the stuff that he's given us, and we're blessed to have him teach us and guide us in it. Now, so it's with fear and trepidation that it's my job today to add to that Galatians series. So let's start with a prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, in these moments, help us lay aside all of life's distractions. Just give us eyes to see you and ears to hear you. Lord, speak to us today. And just do what only you can do and change hearts and change lives. In the name of Jesus, amen. Now, in these moments together, I want to come around this idea of what it is to live by faith and to be known by love. And what that means according to Paul and according to, the, according to Galatians. Now, culture today and culture across the ages tells us and has told us that you have to work to get your position, your title, your status. And once you've worked on yourself enough, once you've worked hard enough, then you will arrive. Then you will be right, and then your life will be complete. But you have to earn it, and you've got to work for it. This thought that is ingrained in culture, that is ingrained in us from a young age, explains why none of us ever feels like we measure up. It explains why we feel more bound than free and why we feel more distant than present. We're always thinking about the next thing that we have to achieve, the next thing that we have to do to get that elusive contentment, that elusive freedom that we all crave. The thing is, as Christians, we take this line of thinking and living and we apply it to our relationship with God. That is, we struggle to accept the basic premise of the gospel, that salvation, that our right relationship with God is based on faith and not works of our own. We struggle with it because our basic way of thinking is it can't be that easy. Essentially, we want to place our faith in something that adheres to our own understanding of how things should work. And in fairness, it's a logical way to think, as we all recognise there's this giant gap between the divine and us. We feel as if we must cross that gap, that we must work our way to God through sacrifice, through ethical practices, through cleaning ourselves up. So we get to work. We try and work our way to God. We try and bridge the gap because we figure you need something to bridge that giant gap between us and God. But the good news rages in the face of popular culture that says do good, get good, do bad, get bad. Let's be honest, the good news is hard to accept because this culture's message is so ingrained into our core that we find this scandal of being made right with God through faith hard to wrap our heads around. We find it hard to wrap our heads around the truth that Jesus bridged the giant gap, 
the chasm that we could never bridge through no amount of work of our own. We struggle to simply live by faith. We struggle to live a life free in the Spirit. But the Apostle Paul, he got it. He got that we're saved through faith. He got that there is freedom to be found in the Spirit. Freedom from never feeling like you're good enough, worthy enough, clean enough. For Paul, the Christian life is all about faith, not works. It's all about faith in God moving towards us in the person and work of Christ. Paul expresses this truth in Galatians 2.20. It reads, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul then goes on to demonstrate the whole way through the book of Galatians that our acceptance, that our being made right with God is based on our faith in Christ and not works of the law. Paul contends throughout Galatians that a life of faith in Jesus is a life led by the Spirit. And for Paul, this life is categorized by freedom. Freedom from legalism, freedom from the law, and freedom from sin. But this kind of theology of Paul, it got into all types of hot water. And let me just break that down a little bit for you. So, so there were these Judaizers, and they had a major, major problem with Paul's theology. Now, a Judaizer was someone who taught that you were saved through a combination of God's grace and human effort in the form of abiding by the law of Moses. Now, the Judaizers taught that in order for a Christian to be truly right with God, they must conform to the Mosaic law. In particular, circumcision was a requirement for salvation. So their theology was a grace plus works type of theology. And they also believed that living by the law was the only way you could have a moral life, you could have a moral society. So to be fair... When you think about it from their point of view, it kind of makes sense for them to have a problem with Paul's theology. In that for these Judaizers, living by the law was a way of life for them. In the absence of the law, how was one to deal with wrongs? How was one to deal with sin? How was one to get right with God? Without the law, how was one even able to distinguish right from wrong? You can kind of understand their point of view. You can understand their hesitation. What they had based their assurance in and their security in was being pulled from under them. They thought without the law, without their hard work, the moral fibres of their community would just fall apart. The flesh would take over. And all types of crazy ways of living would just sweep their communities. This is Paul's reason for writing Galatians. Because there's all this division amongst them as to how one is saved, as to how one should live in light of all of that. And Paul in this letter provides perhaps one of the strongest statements against such voices of a faith plus works. And of how one should live. In Galatians chapter 5, verses 13 to 14, we read, 
For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, you shall love your neighbour as yourself. Now Paul's call to freedom in these verses is straight up levelled at these Judaizers' claim that a life apart from the law always leads to a light of perverted indulgence. As Paul here makes the point that yes, a life of faith is a life of freedom, but it's a freedom in the spirit. And a life of freedom in the spirit is a life of loving others. And a life of loving others is the essence of the law. The point that Paul is making is this. A life of freedom in the spirit is a life that actually fulfills the law. It's a life that in no way, shape or form leads to an indulging of the flesh. Because to live in the flesh for Paul meant one was living outside of God's will and apart from God's guiding influence of the spirit. Let me just say that again. To live in the flesh meant to live outside of God's will and apart from God's guiding influence of the Spirit. Paul is really putting out the challenge. And I believe it's as much a challenge for the Judaizers as it is for us today. Paul is saying to you and to I, do you actually believe that God's Spirit is a sufficient guide for a moral life before God? Do you believe it's enough? In other words, is our ethic an ethic of freedom in the spirit or is it much more like the Judaizers? Let me put it yet another way. Do we believe we are saved through faith alone or faith plus works? Do we live lives from grace, from freedom in the spirit or do we live in the power of our own works? Another way of looking at this is to pause to question whether you, we think that all of our good traits are the, result, are the result of God's grace or our works. Do we think that it is we who have made us capable to think, to walk, to write, to speak, to relate to others, to create imaginatively, to love, if we do, we're not on the side of Paul. Because according to Paul, everything from back to front, from beginning to end, in this life of faith is by the Spirit and through Christ. It's only by extension of this theology that Paul's teaching on the Spirit becomes immediately clear. Our moral guide is the Spirit. Because everything good in our life, according to Paul, is the result of God's work on our behalf. For Paul, the Christian life is a life of faith in Christ. It's a life lived in the freedom of the Spirit. A life surrendered, <clears throat> a life surrendered to letting the Spirit have absolutely complete control over our lives. It's not a life lived out of our own strength. It's not a life full of self-determined direction. Rather, it is a life lived by faith. A life of consistent surrender to the Spirit. So what does it look like to live by faith? What does it look like to live a life surrendered to the Spirit? 
Well, according to Paul, it's to be known by love. But whose love are we to be known by? Is it our love that we're to be known by? No, it's not our love we are to be known by, according to Paul. To live by faith is to be known by the love of God. Because for Paul, it's the love of God that changes us so that we can serve one another in love. And again, in Galatians chapter 5, verses 13 to 14, Paul makes the point that a life of faith, a life lived in the freedom of the Spirit, brings with it a freedom to serve one another in love. Because for Paul, true love is defined by Christ's sacrificial giving of his own life in love. It's a love that then is inspired by God's Spirit. And finally, it's a love expressed in serving one another. So to live by faith is to be known by love. And we see this expressed in Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 to 23. It reads, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Now, last time I preached, I preached on these verses and I talked about the organic nature of character change that's brought about by the Spirit. And I talked about how we need to become gardeners that cultivate an environment in our lives for the Spirit to do its thing, to bear fruit in our, in our life. But I don't have the sort of the time to unpack all of that today. But have, check it out on the podcast. Um, and yeah, have a good listen to it because it sort of adds to what else I want to say today. Because these couple of verses, they're just such rich verses and you could, you could literally do a whole sermon series on just these couple of verses. Now the thing that you notice here about what Paul says in verse 22, he says it's the fruit of the Spirit. Now for centuries, commentators have noticed that Paul does something really strange here. He says the fruit, singular, which is karpos, the fruit of the Spirit, and then he gives us a list. So the subject's singular, and the predicate's plural. And so all of you English teachers in the room are like, Paul, what are you doing, grammatically speaking? But Paul did this on purpose. So we've got to ask why. Why would he do this? And the answer is that Paul's trying to reveal something incredibly, incredibly important about real character change or Christian change. And that is that all of these things are one. That is, the fruit of the Spirit is one thing from nine different angles. It's like looking at a diamond from nine different angles, describing what it looks like from those different angles. Now, obviously, you could look at and describe that diamond from more than nine different angles. And likewise, this one thing, this one fruit that Paul is describing from nine different angles also has more than nine different aspects to it. So this list of the fruit of the Spirit, just like the list of the works of the flesh that Paul gives us in verses 19 to 21, they're not exhaustive lists. They're not comprehensive so the works of the flesh can express themselves in more ways than the list Paul gives us. And likewise, the fruit of the Spirit, this one thing, can express itself in more ways than these nine. 
that Paul gives us. But what is the fruit that Paul speaks of? What is the one thing that Paul grow, that grows and develops in the life of a believer that then expresses itself in all these different ways? Well, it's really significant that Paul would begin this list with love because he's already alluded to the fact that our right standing with God is not based on our love for God, but God's love for us. And that out of this faith, his love for us, and that out of this faith in his love for us, we are then to live a life of freedom in the spirit that expresses itself in loving others. And he's already told us that serving one another in love fulfills the law. So he's kind of hinted at, in a not-so-subtle way, what this one thing is right through his letter. That's why commentators say that when Paul was writing the list of the fruit of the Spirit, he might as well have placed a full stop after love and then just moved on to the conclusion of his letter. Because for Paul, love is not merely the first among equals in this list, but rather the source and fountain from which all of the other graces flow. And can I just get the helpers just to start distributing the elements, please? Let me just say that last bit again. Because for Paul, love is not merely the first thing among equals in this list, but rather the source and the fountain from which all other graces flow. And C.S. Lewis put this so well when he wrote, God who needs nothing loves into existence holy and superfluous creatures in order that he may love and perfect them. He creates the universe already foreseen, or should we say seen? There are no tenses in God. The buzzing cloud of flies about the cross, the flayed back pressed against the uneven stake, the nails driven through the missile nerves, the repeated incipient suffocation as the body droops, the repeated torture of back and arms as it is time after time for breath's sake hitched up. This is the diagram of love himself, the inventor of all loves. This fruit of the Spirit, this one thing, it's love. It is love expressing itself as joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. This love, that the fruit of the Christ- this love that is the fruit of the Christian life, that is the fruit of the Spirit, is only possible because of God's unfathomable love and infinite mercy towards us. It's only because of faith in God's saving action in Christ and thus the transforming work of his spirit in our lives that we're able to love one another with the same kind of love that God loves us. And it is a love that does not seek its own. It is a life of loving service to others. The whole point of living by faith and being known by love for Paul is not that we become this religious, stoic, disengaged person. Paul is saying the most spirit-filled people you know are the most fully human people you know. 
because it is in God's love that we're able to become the people that God created us to be. It is God's love for us that is the context of change sweeping our lives and the lives of people around us. Because it's God's love for us that is the context of faith, according to Paul, according to Scripture. That is, if you have faith in Jesus, you've been transformed by God's love. We've all been created to live in this love of our Creator and Saviour and to live by faith is to live in this love and it is then to share this love with others. To live by faith and to be known by love is to be people, is to love people the way God loves us. It is to be the most free humans we can be. It's only through a life of faith, not works, that we're able to live a life of freedom in the Spirit. And it's only when the Spirit is empowering our lives that we're able to love others and express this love, this fruit of the Spirit in all of its different facets. Remember, this fruit is one thing that can be expressed in many different ways. And the whole point of the Lord's Supper is to make our faith real. It is to make this love real. It is to make Jesus real to us. When you get the bread, you have something in your hand. You've got something to feel. You've got something to eat. It's a way of symbolizing. It's a way of saying, Lord, be real to me. That's my whole problem. We don't need new circumstances. We don't need new information. We need the truth about God's love to be so real that nothing else matters. I need the tr- we need the truth about this love to be so real that we've got no other choice but to live it out. <clears throat> because when you've met with God... And his love, what else can you do? What else can you do when you've seen his glory that can't be unseen? What else can you do but live it out and share it with others? So as we take the bread, let's allow this truth of God's love, of Christ's body being broken for you and I to go from our heads to our hearts. Let's look upon his broken body, on his body that was broken, and let's believe. Let's look upon our Lord and believe that holy is the Lord before our eyes. And as we behold his beauty, let's cry out in our hearts, Hallelujah. Hallelujah, our King.
as we take the cup, let's remember his blood that was shed and his life that was given so that you and I could walk free. So that you and I could live by faith and not by works. So that you and I could live a life of freedom in the Spirit. So that you and I could live by faith and be known by love. Because how else will we love others, not selfishly, but just for who they are, unless we sense the reality of Jesus dying for us just as we are? How else will we have true joy unless we see the beauty of what Christ has done and is doing? How else will we get peace unless we realize that our future is guaranteed in him? How else will we have patience unless we see him <clears throat> unless we see him up there on the cross saying Father, forgive them. For they know not what they do. How else will we get kindness until we see him pouring himself out for us, expecting nothing in return? How else will we get integrity until we see that we don't need anyone else's approval but his? How else will we get faithfulness until we see that he's always been faithful to us, even when we've been unfaithful to him? How else will we get humbleness and gentleness until we can say, O oh Lord, if you were meek and lowly of heart, one that came to serve rather than be served, then who am I? How else will we get self-control until we see we have already got the one and only thing that our body and soul longs for, Jesus. To live by faith and to be known by his love is to be a voice of hope. And I don't know about you, church, but that's the way I want to live. I want to live by faith and be known by his love. Can we be that community? A community that lives by faith and faith alone. A community that knows and lives out his relentless love. A community that is known by his love. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, be real to us. I pray that our passion is provoked and stirred by seeing your passion and love for us. May we not allow tradition, oppression, division, or any self-righteousness for our own sacrifices keep us from being only about you. May you and your love be more real to us than the air we breathe and the planet we live on. 
Lord, empower us to live by faith, to be known by love, and to be a voice of hope. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.